This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, July 2nd. 2020, the day after Canada Day. And speaking of, I have the very Canadian Rene Ritchie here on the show today. Hi, Rene. How are you? Salut, Miriam. Salut. Ça va? Ça va très bien, merci. Et vous? Ça va bien. How are things with your new adventure of YouTube? You seem to be enjoying yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the worst possible time to go independent. Um, <laughs> But I, so far, it's going well. It's exciting and terrifying. Well, you know, you've been both freelancing with companies oh, yeah. on and off for the years. And there's benefits and drawbacks to both. I probably should have picked a better time to do it. But other than that, it's going pretty well. Well, it seems to be from the outside, I can tell you that. So keep up whatever you're doing because... Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. No, I was super excited to see it. And uh, we're going to speak about some stuff that we did get a chance to cover last week. Uh, regarding the Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple's big developer yeah. conference, which I think is definitely the most impressive virtual event that used to be a real event that anybody's put yet together. Like, it feels seamless to me. Like, I'm sure it's very different for developers who used to attend, but as somebody who's always mostly watched from the sidelines, occasionally has been at the actual keynote, it didn't seem that different, you know? I just, I was, you were probably the same way. I'm like, what camera are they using? What lens are they using? Craig looks nine feet tall. Wait a minute, Tim is moving in and out. What, what are they, that was a good production. I mean, it was pre-recorded, right? Obviously. Yeah. But um, yeah, so for me, we, we talked about this last week and I know you heard, uh, you listened to the podcast. Yes. We covered some of our trial and tribulations, Nick and I, uh, who was my guest last week about the um, Apple Silicon transition. And I personally don't have too many tribulations but we have some more yeah. information this week to talk about. And then I, I know I'd love to talk about this iOS app and iPadOS app on Mac and what you as a Mac user and me as a Mac user, what yeah. we think this is going to end up being. And for those of you listening right now and going, oh, no, more Apple stuff. Hang tight, though. We've got a whole bunch of cool phone news and Android news, some OnePlus stuff. So sit tight. We, we need to go over this because this is a big deal. And it's not like this isn't going to happen everywhere. I mean, we've already seen Microsoft experimenting with with some customization on ARM. Google makes their own server chips, and they've been, you know, experimenting with making more silicon for phones. So it's it's an industry trend, and I think it's it's fascinating overall to see the change from Windell to some form of Nix and some form of ARM and some form of WebKit based browser in our pocket. So different than a decade ago. And I mean, we have Chromebooks running ARM too, right? Uh, yeah. If anybody arguably has done a really good job. Uh, with the transition uh, to ARM, it's it's Chrome. Like I mean, it's completely yeah. seamless. If you get a, a Chromebook that's ARM based, uh, unless it doesn't have enough RAM, it it's it's actually pretty okay. So yeah. And we started to your point. We started seeing more sessions come out after the keynote, and one of them was just showing how like the new boot process is going to work. And instead of having to remember these arcane keys to hold down to go to recovery mode or safe mode, you just hold down the power touch ID button, and it gives you a visual menu. Uh, and if you're if you destroy your system, there's a concealed partition that can restore everything for you. Uh, and we know that Apple and Google and everybody's working towards portless, uh, remote restored devices. And I think all of this is a huge confluence. And when you make the silicon, you can literally 
design it for what you want the product experience to be. And that's often when it's better for customers, when it's not like, oh, we have this technology, what can we do with it? But this is a product we want to make. What technology do we need to make it real? I think for me, the takeaway from last week's uh, transition announcement is that we're seeing a very similar um, structure to the transition as we did with Intel, uh, with the Power PC to Intel. And Intel to Apple Silicon ARM, which is, they're still running ARM cores on on the CPU side, at least for now. Well, so their custom core, so... It's hard. It's so hard to talk about because ARM makes their own core design and people buy them and they're called Cortex and they run them in a bunch of servers and right. a bunch of devices. And Apple only licenses the instruction set and makes their own cores. So they're running the ARM uh, ISA, but they're not running the ARM core design. And we don't have enough terminology to properly describe this because we're used to like Intel, AMD, x86. Yeah. And like ARM is so much, ARM is not the same sort of thing. It's such an ugly beast to talk about. And you know, uh, Qualcomm's done that too. They they yeah. they create they they're basically creating uh, instruction compatible chips. Yeah, and and in the past they've also licensed entire ARM designs uh, in terms of of CPU. So and and uh, uh, GPU as well. I believe I'm not 100 percent sure. I know that Apple used Power VR for a while. Yeah. Yes. And that's ARM essentially, right? Okay. Yes. And now they're making their own custom, but they're still compatible. And Apple like names them after like they're, they're like typhoon and mistral and tornado and like they name them after uh, storms, which is always interesting to it's me. It's kind of cool. So um, for me, the big thing that stood out was I did not. I mean, Universal Binaries 2.0 was a no-brainer. Yes. Right. And the second thing was Rosetta was for yeah. me a no-brainer, but I wasn't necessarily expecting it. Yeah. And I tell you why, yeah. and you heard this on the show. My biggest tribulation in this transition is not the transition to ARM or to Apple Silicon, is the transition I haven't made yet. And the transition yeah. so many Mac users haven't made yet, which is the dumbest, most annoying transition from 32-bit to 64-bit. Yeah. I was kind of really hoping that with Rosetta 2, they would announce, oh, hey, by the way, we'll support 32-bit binaries too. Because <laughs> that's all... I don't actually believe why I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you this, Renee, because it's annoying me. Go ahead. Like it's annoying the crap out of me. Why didn't Apple wait one more year to switch to 64-bit? Why did they just say, we're doing it all at once? Because this is such, this is, Catalina has been such a mess for so many people. Yeah. I'm not talking you, yeah. you, I could adapt. You obviously have adapted because you prepared because you're But I can't smart. use like level builders from well, there you go. if I so you're, They're all, you're, you're can't you're use audio plugins, SOL. I mean. Okay, so my yeah. point is like, why, uh, why did they not either combine them? And, and I think this transition is on paper going to go perfectly because I think we're yeah. already seeing these benchmarks we're going to talk about. But but for most people, that's not the reality. For Theo, yeah. who's running a MacBook Air from 2013 or 14 or whatever, running High Sierra or whatever right now, yeah. they're going to lose so much stuff if I buy yeah. them a new Mark ARM Mac. And even I will. So how do we... How does Apple handle this? Does Apple care? Does Apple understand that not everyone is completely 100% on the Apple ecosystem of apps? Yeah, I think that I think the 32-bit transition was a huge mistake in the way that it was architected because they essentially gave developers 10 years. They started it with I forget if it was Leopard or it was Lion, but they start they, they started the transition 
back in the Steve Jobs days, and they just kept saying we're deprecating it, we're deprecating it, and developers don't care. If they're saying, like, this is a multi-year thing, they're like, okay, we'll do it when you're actually serious about it. And over the course of that time, all the de- a lot of them lost the engineers that were maintaining the 32-bit. Like, they literally can't fix it if they want to because the people who wrote it aren't even there anymore. And so we're stuck. And I think their hope was that by doing it last year, it would incentivize developers to do it during Catalina, so it would be all ready to go when we got to the uh, the um, Big Sur-based ARM machines. But because they just don't have the resources and they don't have the market to do it, we sort of end up with the the worst of both worlds. And so my, my I'm not too worried about the transition, frankly. Um, but I'm worried about the actual real transition that so yeah. many people haven't done yet and are going to have to do. And I have a feeling that the message for me at WWDC was that they've really lit a fire under Adobe and Microsoft to at least yeah. get those things fixed, um, which still doesn't help me because I'm running CS5. Like, I, yeah. you're going to say, well, it's, come on, you got to upgrade. Yes, I've thought about it for years, but but I don't need more functionality. It works, right? Like, it works. I paid my money yeah. on this. Yeah. And, and I understand Adobe's new business model, but imagine, right? Like, two of us now in the household that work, together professionally would have to buy these subscribe subscription licenses for apps we use once in a very like i use photoshop maybe once a month like i don't really use anything else and and you know people i think a lot of people are in that boat and i don't want to be like oh well sometimes it's nice to use premiere i have it right like i don't but i could i could and so now (laughs) now now with these packages i looked at the pricing and i was like no this is this doesn't make sense for my business so i wonder I have this conspiracy theory, and I'm not wearing a I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. But my conspiracy theory is it's such a different world now because back then it was crucial to have Microsoft and Adobe support your transition. But now, you know, if Microsoft doesn't, just people with Macs are going to use Google Docs, and if Adobe doesn't, people with Macs are going to go to like Infinity Designer or Pixelmator or Final Cut Pro. So they have more like they have more incentive to keep their customers, I think, before than they had to actually cooperate and and do the ports. Yeah, I think you're right on Microsoft for sure. Like everybody's pretty comfortable with Google Docs these days. Yeah. But I think that for Creative Suite, I think that's a sticking point because, you know, I personally don't, I can't think of, as you, you came up with two replacements Photoshop and, and I'm aware they exist, but I've never even tried them. Like, yeah. do they fit in my workflow? Am I happy with them? I don't know. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have too many plugins, so I'm not or too like worried Or like DaVinci Resolve versus Premiere. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, <laughs> like, that, would be a big, that would be a big jump. But my point is that that's my biggest fear is, yeah. It's it's not like like Nick said, you know, there are old people who just they have never done that transition to the cloud and yeah. part of the reason they bought a Mac is because, you know, their their kids set it up for them, bought them CS5, CS6, whatever and got them like Microsoft Office 2008 or whatever and they've yeah. been upgrading their Macs with this payload in the background yes. of 32-bit apps for years. And they might just have bought a, a Mac just prior to Catalina that ran all this stuff like a champ. Yeah, yeah. And now two three years from now, they're going to go out to the Apple store, put their big fat money down <laughs> and buy the new MacBook Air 13. And they're going to come home and there's going to be a lot of very angry people. <laughs> and I, I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure Apple's aware of that. I think with iOS and iPad OS devices, it's a lot easier to pull people in to update them. Yeah, it's to almost keep invisible. Them, right. But I think with the Mac, 
I think they're going to have a lot of problem. And I think if you are right now an IT person running your own like small shop in a small yeah. town doing computer repair, this is a business. You need to be yeah. like offering this service. You're going to make a lot of money. And right? this is the thing. It's like Apple is absolutely ruthless and savage about ditching like older technologies so they don't have to drag it with them into the future. But sometimes they're a little premature about doing it. And then Microsoft on the other side is like, uh, you know, maybe Windows ME this year we'll think about, you know, <laughs> dropping ties to that. I just like, there, there's got to be a good balance in the middle. Like, they, they, you shouldn't support people forever because otherwise they'll never move forward. But you shouldn't just cut the legs out from under them when they're trying to run for the touchdown. Okay, so I'm <laughs> glad that my perception on last week's show, and, and for the audience, I really recommend you at least listen to the first 40 minutes last week's show. We can't yeah. go over all the stuff Nick and I talked about, but a lot of it is around this this fear of the transition and how, what it means. Now we have a bit more data this week because of the benchmarks. And yeah. and my I'm glad that you, are like, you know, the godfather of Apple news <laughs> coverage is also going like, yeah, this is this is a sticky point because I just don't know how, how do you elegantly drag these people? Like if, if Apple had, with the Catalina transition last year, had had like some sort of system that automatically matched up people with apps that were deprecated yeah. with new apps, instead it just lists them all, right? When you it do an update them, yeah. and that and it just goes like meh, you know, like asking meh, like <laughs> shruggy, shruggy emoji. Yeah, I don't know. It's very yeah. interesting. So, so my my question to you is, I have you, you and I have no doubt this transition is going to be smooth, and we're no like yeah. I have no doubt performance on these R Max is going to be incredible. Yeah, it's and not be good. just performance speed, but performance battery life, performance yeah. built in connectivity, performance efficiency. That's uh, the new trendy kid term. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to see at the low end some very fanless devices and at the high end very small cooling very minimal cooling that's going to bring performance up yeah. on arm like we've never seen and before and unified memory I mean, oh I'm my god it's going to be yeah. it's going to be amazing do you think that what we're seeing with these so maybe we should summarize and maybe you can talk about sure. this more what 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 is the kind of the gist that we've seen some of these uh, developer kits these DTKs have landed in the hands of developers. They yeah. are based on the uh, A12Z Bionic, or yes. not Bionic, whatever it's called, chip. No, no it's still Bionic, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a two-year-old design now uh, from yes. the original um, skinny Mac Pro. I like the skinny bezel Mac Pro. and Not Mac Pro, iPad Pro. IPad and so Pro, yeah. here we are. These are Mac Mini lookalike. They have all the ports you want. Yep. And the benchmarks emulated on yes. on Rosetta 2 so emulating x86 32 sorry 64 bit on um Big Sur uh running on ARM uh, in Apple silicon is very impressive yeah yeah it, i mean so these chips are 2 years old apple is activated previously they were just hard to get the yield up so they didn't they, they any chip that had seven active GPU cores was good enough to ship with the 2018 iPad Pro. By the 2020 iPad Pro, they got up to having all eight cores activated, but they're still binning the chips. So the best chips go to the iPad Pro and not best chips are going into the developer kits. So you're basically getting, you know, a slightly slightly less performant version of the iPad Pro chip. And I love watching Steve Trotten Smith when all this stuff goes down oh, yeah. because he's so on top of it. And immediately he's like, oh, under under Rosetta, it's outperforming Windows uh, Windows on the Surface 10. Sorry, the Surface X. I can't pronounce the word X or, or the letter 10 anymore, Miriam. Yeah, I know. This is what Apple has done to me. I'm sorry. It's okay. I have a lot of phones that have X in them that are not I Apples. 
iPhones, and so I have to do the mental switch. It's like when I switch from... But even from, Apple has an iPhone 10 with an A, A10, with an A12X chip in it. Like, there's just... It makes no sense. It's... It's... It's, it's simple, Rene. It's like when you go from a Chromebook to a Mac yeah. and you have to go with control or a command, yeah. okay? You, you do that seamlessly, right? Yes. I, it takes me one mistake before I switch, right? And, and then I do it and then I back, like I go back with. It's the same thing. But with Chrome, you got to hold down command Q and I forget. So I let go the first time. Then I do it properly the second time. So All it right. takes me three times as long every time. <laughs> anyway, so what I was yep. getting to is I think those numbers are very impressive and when, yeah. Right now, the HCX chip, which is Qualcomm's um, ARM-based design that's used in PCs, AC PCs, as they call them, always connected PCs that uh, manu- several manufacturers make now. Microsoft has the Surface X. There's, there's a bunch of stuff, right? Like there's a Samsung yep. has one. They're all Windows 10 on ARM, and they yes. run 64-bit apps native, and they emulate um, 32-bit apps yes. only from Intel. So you can't take a 64-bit Intel app and bring it over. But but we've seen the emulation on those be okay, manageable, but just as a crutch. Yeah. It's not really something you want to do. But from what um, you know, the benchmarks look like on the DTK, we're looking at performance that is as good as native on, on Qualcomm's chips running Windows yeah. 10 ARM. So wow. You think it's just a 64-bit thing versus a 32-bit thing? Or do you think it's just better they're used to doing this right yeah no i think the problem that so and maybe it's not a problem the best way to put like we just saw qualcomm announce new wearable silicon and the problem is it's still based on their older 14 nanometer uh phone silicon and the ugly truth about it is it's expensive to make chips and if you're a merchant silicon vendor you've got to make profit on those chips so it behooves them to to have the same technology on the market longer because it better defrays the cost of developing it where like and uh, just for people not familiar with silicon, uh, you can do anything as long as you have time and or money. Some combination of yes. those two things. Uh, the less time you have, the more money you need. I think that's true of pretty much anything, right? Totally true. So the thing is that Apple doesn't make money on the chips. Like they can lose money on chips as long as they make money on the whole device. So they can literally spend to make whatever they want and almost no other company in the world can do that. So like Qualcomm still has to sell those chips to Microsoft for the Surface or to Samsung and they've got to make money on those. And it's such a more complicated proposition where Apple's like run, run as fast as you can. We'll put margin on the iPhone. It's fine. (laughs) Just make us the fastest chips in the world. And that's what Johnny Saruji's team you know that that's their their mandate yeah. and that's what they've been doing and it's it must be great as an engineer to work in that environment and that's what we're seeing and i'm not here to knock qualcomm or microsoft or or samsung for their windows 10 acpcs i've used some of well, these they're great at some things their modems way better than apple's if you run 64-bit <laughs> apps on those which i do it's it's yeah. great and especially the new version of edge is really really sweet on 64-bit arm uh windows yeah. 10 um, that browser, I mean, we all know it's essentially Chromium under the hood, but yeah. it's it's damn great. Um, yeah. So I feel like, you know, this is going to, this shows where Apple's going with this. And again, it shows Apple's expertise and not just as you're making great silicon, as you know, but it's this Rosetta stuff that they, this, yeah. this, this emulation, they know how to do this. It's the third time they're doing it. And, you know, wow, 
And it's one of those things like because people complain a lot that Apple doesn't work with NVIDIA, for example, and they won't get they can't get CUDA cores. But NVIDIA is a hugely successful company and NVIDIA wants to commoditize PCs so that you have your NVIDIA card and it runs on no matter what PC you have, where Apple wants to commoditize the graphics so that you have a Mac with metal and it runs on whatever graphics cores it finds. It just dispatches between CPU, neural engine and graphics cores. And that sucks for people that's and those two people are not flinching, but it lets Apple do stuff like this because whether it's Apple Silicon or AMD Silicon, they will get out of the way and let Apple write to the metal and let like for things like anything that's high performance, they will get the entire stack out of the way and let you write directly to the chips. So for like VR tasks or emulation, hypervisor is built in to the Silicon for them and they've got accelerators for it. And just it's when everyone else is out of your way, you get you get a substantial boost to performance. Yeah, so I'm I'm stoked, honestly. You know, I still have, as I said in the show last week, a 12-inch MacBook, uh, <laughs> the original mm-hmm. one, not the second version, and it still runs just fine. It's not yeah. fast, but if I keep the tabs count low, and it's the full, the, it's the higher-end version, I maxed it out okay. at the time. Seven. It's honestly just fine, um, but I can't wait to get something in that form factor that yeah. is got built-in 5G, has, you know... Um, has this this new this new chipset that would just fly circles around um not run but fly i had that computer too and like the thing that got me is like they came out with the same time that they did an update to the uh, ipad pro and the ipad pro because intel intel was so late for so long like they didn't build h.265 support into their chips for a long long time so apple said okay you know we'll put a t2 chip in there but whatever i could do three streams of 4k on a rinky dinky ipad and i couldn't get one to work on the uh, on the core uh, on the m5 version of the 12 inch macbook for sure and it's just like uh... yeah and that's 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 what i've been saying to people who have come to me in the last couple of years saying hey what do you think of this eventual arm transition i'm like have you played with an ipad Pro? Yeah. Have you rendered video in, in iMovie on iPad Pro? And also, it's cool. Why doesn't Apple have a Final Cut on the iPad yet, by the way? I think that, so I think that's a, like a Final Cut Pro Xcode. I think it's similar to what Adobe has been doing with Photoshop. They're just doing it privately and not in public. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, iPads are still RAM constrained. So you're still constrained at the highest end to six gigabytes of RAM. Um, and also the interface before the Magic Keyboard was constrained. Uh, so they, I think they're trying to think through and Adobe will tell you it's real Photoshop, but it's not full Photoshop. And the decision-making process about what features to move over. And also, is it an independent app or is it an app that works with the desktop? So you, like you're working on your project, you're working on your app in Xcode or your movie in Final Cut. And then part of that gets pushed to the iPad, you work on it, but it also goes back to the computer. And I think those are a bunch of decisions that we've seen Adobe I don't want to say struggle with because they've been working really hard on it. I was going to say struggle with because I think it's true. I I don't think we're being mean by saying that. Adobe's had a really hard time making this work well, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm betting Apple's doing the same thing, just not doing it in public. So speaking, this is a perfect segue for the next topic. I mean, we, so so our takeaway, generally speaking on this is that the hardware is going to kick ass. The emulation is going to work. This is all rosy. And the biggest challenge for people is going to be what we talked about last week, which is the switch to, if you haven't done the switch to Catalina, please do it soon because you're going to be really in a bag of hurt next, uh, next time you buy a Mac. Or you're going to be on that Intel (laughs) Mac for a long time. Yeah, damn. (laughs) But uh, at the same time, you know, um, you, we are just talking about this right now. Maybe the solution to some of these missing 32-bit apps is 
if you want to buy, if you only use like me, Photoshop for a few little retouching things yeah. every now and then because you're familiar with the workflow, maybe you can download the iPad version, right? And yeah. you install that on your Mac arm and boom, there it is. You have like a very simplified, very minimal version of Photoshop you can run. I don't know how much they charge for that app. I don't know if it's, is it subscription based as well? I the- think all of their stuff is. Yeah, I don't think you can get around this. As, but again, like there's, there's a whole bunch of really, really good non-Adobe apps these days. I, I didn't even look at it until I started seeing the price of the, you know, when the when the edu, when the uh, intro discount expired, and I started uh, looking around yeah. at what the pricing was like, and they've come up like they've like Pixelmator, and a lot of them are using the neural engines now too, and are doing things that Adobe hasn't done yet. Like oh, Adobe, cool. they're like things like like um, Smart Fill are amazing on Adobe, but when you're harnessing a, like neural engines built into the silicon, some of these apps are doing amazing things. Well. That's maybe your ticket, folks. And you know that what to do about Microsoft Office. I mean, first of all, you have Office in the cloud if you really need it. It's yeah. free. And secondly, uh, you know, forget it. Just Google Docs. I mean, I know this is a yeah. big bono contention for a lot of people. Yes, Microsoft Excel standalone on your PC or Mac is a much bigger truck as it were, than the small pickup truck or the very large pickup truck, but that's not a full-on truck that is Google uh, Sheets. But at the same time, I feel that for most people, for the kind of people that I'm talking about, that are casual Microsoft Office users today, I think that uh, using Google Docs is going to be fine. So that's less of a transition. And what app can you think of that maybe at at, at our level as creators have been... Like for me, you know, I have like all of these legacy 30, like if I look in my, it's crazy how much little little batch image, batch processing, rename processing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, All of these little GUI based apps that I have that I I just won't work anymore. So I'm trying to figure out what. Like I used to use Levelator for years and it was like abandonware and it stopped working and now it's like, RX seven costs like what is it a thousand dollars? I mean, it's it's a tough world. Easy batch photo. I spent money on that. Yeah. I don't know if they have a sixty four bit version yet, but that that's one of my big tools. Um, but anyway, look, the the reality is, I'm definitely I might just keep an old Mac around. That's an Intel Mac yeah. running, you know, high. Well, see, like everyone that. has a gaming PC because you can't game on the Mac. So all you have to do is just <laughs> use those things on the like you run Office on the gaming PC. You're laughing, you're but fine. Theo already said, you know, maybe I'll just keep my old Mac when that happens to. Yeah. The games, and I was like, you know, right now, by the way, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if I told, told you this. Theo is running Civilization 3 on a virtual machine that is running Mac OS, the last version of OS that used Rosetta. Oh, wow. Which one is that? I don't know, Snow Leopard? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Snow Leopard. So Theo will boot a virtual machine running Snow Leopard, very lightweight version of Snow Leopard, like bare install, that then boots into Civ 3. That's so good. With a DVD uh, virtual image. And they run this at the same time as they run Chrome and, and Firefox, multiple tabs on a Core i7 MacBook Air oh, from 2013 that. with eight gigs of RAM. And they're hurting right now because they really need to get like a new computer. And at the same time, I'm like, honey, I don't know. Should we buy you an Intel? <laughs> like, I'm also at the point where like, should I buy like the last year? Of yeah, the-, the last Intel, right? <laughs> no, no, the, the last year of the Core i7 Air that has a MagSafe oh, yeah. still. Because yeah. that, will come, that won't come with Catalina, right? Because, no. you know, yeah. 
Anyway, so yeah. I'm just, I don't know what we're going to do. But yeah, this is what we're doing. So I, they, they already said, no, I think I might just run. Um, I might just <laughs> keep that computer as my game computer or something. But that's the thing that's so interesting to me is because like Apple for a long time couldn't get ultra low power memory from Intel either. So they built like memory compression and they created these ultra fast SSD swaps. So it would be almost transparent that you didn't have a lot of RAM. And now we're getting a bunch of benefits from that on all ranges of mobile devices that are highly RAM constrained. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like a, a, beneficence, a benevolent cycle. So what do you think this this iOS apps and iPadOS apps on the Mac, ARM-based Macs looks like? Because this has been something that's been talked about. What was that technology called that, that was experimental for all this time? Catalyst. Catalyst, thank you. So, yeah, so UI kit on Mac. The, the, why would you... I don't understand why you would do that unless you had a touchscreen. Like to me, I get it if there was a touchscreen, kind of, yeah. but then I'm worried that Mac developers are going to be like, lazy what well not just lazy but like why even bother making mac versions like for utilities like easy batch creator if you have access to the file system somehow you don't really need to create a version for the mac anymore so what do we what what do you think is going to happen here and how is that going to work so there's two theories like i have this long-standing theory too i'll just back up for a second i think that a lot of people looked at big sur and it was a rorschach test and if they've always wanted a touchscreen apps, they're like, oh, there's so much more space now. It's so much more touchable. And if they're waiting desperately for Apple's VR and AR stuff, they're like, oh, they got rid of the sharp corners. It's way friendlier for AR and VR. And if you really like the iPad, you're like, oh, it looks so much more like an iPad. They're going to merge. And if you're a traditional Mac person, you're like, just stop. Stop everything that you're doing. Sit down. We're having a talk. And I think that's like, so I, I, I want to keep my own bias out of it. But I think part of it for Apple is that it, it it answers the casual gaming question for them because a lot of those people they're not gonna they're they're not even gonna bother putting in the catalyst work for it and I think that's why they showed Monument Valley as their demonstration app. It's sort of like a lot of you are nervous about gaming on the Mac right now, but every game you have on the iPad will just run on uh, on the new Mac, and that takes off at least the the not as loud minority on Twitter definitely, but the majority of people who've grown up playing iPad apps. Yeah, but then how do they interface with these apps? I mean, the thing about playing an app, iPad app, especially with the iPad's vast high-res screen, is that ability to touch these controls, you know, direct direct access direct, yeah. to the Chrome, right? Whereas yeah. you now have the mouse or the trackpad, which as delightful as Apple's mice and trackpads are, is still one more level of, you know, latency yeah, in the experience. Yeah. And I'm not quite convinced that, this is going to be a, like, I'm not saying Apple needs to put my touchscreens in their Macs. I'm just kind of questioning why even have this. I hope they do because it just seems like they, what they've been doing on the iPad is philosophically, they said that every form of input should be a first class citizen, starting with the accessibility team and then moving into the springboard team. So we saw like accessibility gestures. Now we have full trackpad and cursor support. They've done voice control. So you can use your voice to control almost everything in the interface and all of those things like for accessibility, but just for human beings, should, we should be able to make our stuff do what we want the way we want it. And I think the Mac deserves the same thing because like you, you, you were at infinite loop, like you go up there and there's these huge iMacs with these huge buttons to, to sign in. And the first thing I do is you tap the tap button and I feel them, like yeah. an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and people who are um, multi-touch native, like p- kids who grew up in the age of iPad, they just think the screens are broken. And that's, you know, that's not good. And I mean, you know what it is, right? Like when we go to the infinite loop, 
those those are they, they were actually testing us. The i the iMac <laughs> camera is doing a, 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 yeah. a an eye scan to see where on the screen we're looking, getting a, a map, and then you know they they actually have a touch layer on that iMac. You don't know it, but <laughs> they register where you touched on the screen, and it's a catalyst app. You don't really know it, and uh, you didn't know you're part of an experiment, Renee. Yeah. You know, it's like Apple, the elevator closed door button. It doesn't work, but they want to see how often you press it. That's right. Oh my god. Yeah, so I mean, look, I'm just a little puzzled by that. Like, I, I do feel like as a longtime Mac, Apple person, do you feel a little trepidous about this? I mean, like, I'm not saying that the two OSs and app ecosystems can't converge. I think it can be done well, maybe. But I'm feeling like the Mac, as you, as Jobs said, the Mac is a truck. We all use it that way. Yeah. We know what it does. We we have workflows. We're professionals. We're getting stuff done. Don't mess with up. Don't mess with us, Apple. Right? This feels to me like, oh, you know, we're adding power windows to your uh, Ford pickup <laughs> truck. Like, uh, do I really need that? You know, maybe. No, that's but I think that's it. I think you. I think you nailed it there because um, when when people like like when people on Twitter and I hate, hate using Twitter as a punching bag, but when people on Twitter talk about this, they look at it in terms of the components. They're like, oh, they're both running Apple Silicon. They're both running the same basic core OS features now. They're both have very similar like even the icons look the same. The UIs are similar. They they're lying. They must be converging these things. And I think the way Apple looks at it is we make $5 billion a quarter on the iPad and we make $5 billion a quarter on the Mac. And we're not going to give up either of those monies until they really slide down. But we want to make it much more convenient for us to to maintain, like much more efficient from the silicon to the to the components, to the interface for us to, to maintain and much more easy and much easier for you to just buy more Apple stuff and be familiar with. So for them, it is exactly that. It's, well, if we take a truck and we give it all the amenities of a car, like the nice seats, the nice interiors, the power windows, people buy a lot more trucks that way. And that's been the success story of the truck world. Trucks today yeah. are loaded. Like yeah. when you look at the average selling price of a truck, I keep telling this to people who look at my Tesla Model 3 and go, whoa, you have a Model 3, ooh. And I'm like, yeah. dude, I have a long range rear wheel drive, you know, relatively not the base model, but I have a relatively mid range model three and the average US pickup truck costs more than my car. Yep. And they look at me and they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like, hello, like, you know, I think you're and they're like best this. sellers. Yes, absolutely. And it's clearly shown that people, and I'm not saying people shouldn't want that. Maybe yeah. I should get off my lawn and stop yelling at the clouds or something. <laughs> but, but my point is that it's like, to me, my fear is more like, I, I don't want the developers to start using iOS and iPadOS apps as a crutch. Um, yes, same. Unless it's done with all the things I'm expecting, like deep integration with with uh, Spotlight, deep integration with the file system, because that's the thing. Yeah. Like you know how when you run Android apps on a Chromebook, it's like I can run photos. Yeah on the Chromebook, Google Photos, right, as an Android app. And at the same time, I can run it in a window in Chrome, right? And they don't yeah. talk to each other. Yeah. One doesn't know what's in my yeah. photo gallery, quote unquote, on Android, because that's that's like siloed. That's, that's you yeah. know, and, and that's my, my fear is like, you're going to airdrop between the Mac OS apps and the, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's weird. But, but this is also why we have, you know, uh, iCloud, obviously. But but yeah. you're not always on the internet. If I'm on an airplane and I want to use some like Photoshop for iPad OS and edit a photo real quick, how's that going to work? How is Apple going to make that work for me, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I was really happy last week on the show because everyone's like, Apple's copying this from Android. Android's copying this from Apple. We all, all of us nerds know that Nokia invented everything in 1802. 
Like, we're much. just busy. We're just reinf- we're rediscovering it now. It's like archaeology on Migo. What we're doing now. <laughs> it's kind of true, right? It's like, oh, your <laughs> dialer can be used for Skype, but you don't have to install. Well, remember, Skype? everyone was going live on N95. It's like, forget like going live on YouTube. It's like <laughs> I know we were. I was doing live streaming as quick on my N95 yeah. before the iPhone existed on 2G and 3G networks. Kids these days, they have no idea, Renee. <laughs> and widgets all over the screen with their TikTok just... videos. I know, I know. Everything old is new again. I know, it's so great. Let's uh, switch gears to some of the news items. I, I think this is, I mean, the, the, the takeaway here is that we really don't know how this is going to yeah. pan out and that we, you have to keep an open mind and hope for the best. Yeah. I really think that the Mac developer community is very, very strong and opinionated and really yes. wants the Mac to succeed. And that might be what keeps everything going. But there are going to definitely be some some developers who are going to say, we're yep. throwing in the towel. We're just going to use maintain the iPadOS and iOS versions. Um, and Goodbye. That's, we're making Chrome OS apps now. <laughs> <laughs> that is something we, we need to be prepared for in the same way as we now have had 10 years to switch to 64-bit apps and none of us has somehow managed to do that properly on the Mac, right? <laughs> oh, man. So um, I want to talk quickly about an Apple-related topic that has come up that you did a video about. I'm going to link in the show notes to your video. This whole uh, rumor that the iPhone 12s are going to be coming, well, with no headphones doesn't surprise me at all. A lot of phones come with no headphones these days. We already lost the adapter last year, but I think that made sense in a weird way. I mean, true wireless earbuds, they're literally, I have a, I now have a drawer designated yeah. <laughs> true wireless earbuds because I get so many devices sent yep. to me and they're all pretty decent. Um, and so I just don't care anymore. Um, I mean, if I want to do critical listening, I do it with these headphones, my yeah. DT990 Bayer Dynamic. But what, what this charger thing, you know what? I think you nailed it in your video is that I, th- I think they need to have a voucher in the phone box yeah. that says, there's no charger. We, you might have one. Your five watt charger will work fine. But here's, you know, here's a, a thing where you get 50% off or whatever the 20 watt USB-C charger that we sell now or something. Because I, I think it's not so much the, we don't have USB chargers around. It's the, yeah. there are just a lot of shitty chargers out oh, there. The dollar store charger, whatever right. it happens to be. Yeah. 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 And, and then there's the fear of, of the uh, charging slowly. And then finally, the, the big thing is which cable would they put in the box? USB type C or USB type A? Because if they, I think my gut tells me USB A simply because even a lot of modern Android phones ship with USB A to C cables yeah. in the box. So, well, people in the Apple community forget that most iPhone users use Windows and a lot of Windows computers are still USB A. Like, even now, only the more recent ones, you still argue about surfaces having USB-C ports. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. It's, we live in a different world. The thing, the thing about this, too, and I will acknowledge this because I get yelled at when I talked about Apple removing the headphone jack. It's like HTC removed it from the G1 and the Touch back in 2007, and you never give well, them they credit. They never had and, it. It's not that they removed it. Like, come on. Well, man. they had that dongle box. But then yesterday we were talking about this, and they're like, Moto removed it from the Motorola G years ago, and I'm like, oh, I, I can't look. I'm gonna see that Apple's not first at anything. That's fine, okay? But they sell so many phones that when they do it, it impacts 
affects a lot of people. And because headlines with Apple in them sell a lot of papers, we're going to hear about it in a way that we're, we never heard about it with other vendors. So I'm going to I'm going to deal with the pain that's in front of me. It's, it's, it's like my philosophy. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not opposed to it. I think a voucher would go a long way because if I'm yeah. spending $1,000 on a phone, what is $10 on half cost? Say, say, the, say they do a really good, nice thing and they sell the 20 watt charger for $19. Just, give, you know, yeah. I know that's a low price, but even if they, if they put a voucher in there for, and you can buy it for $9 or $10, like, come on, like you, it's the price of a freaking latte and a half in San Francisco. Like I know San Francisco yeah. is not a, it's not a reference point, but I mean, like, come on, like, it's not a huge deal. But at the same time, my, I, I, it's interesting for Apple because it's that pull and push and pull, as you said in your video, like the environmental positives, right? Versus the yeah. user experience friction, transparent like lovely appleness of the of the experience because and it's marketing it's like when they at wwdc they were doing so well and then they said the stand costs a thousand dollars and if they had just said if you don't need the stand we'll kick we'll take a thousand dollars off the cost exactly nobody That's would have reacted badly yeah and this is the same thing it's like let's say they maintain prices they go to 5g and a lot of other vendors have raised their prices with 5g and they say we're not doing that oh but you have to pay us 40 bucks nobody's gonna care they didn't raise prices for 5g They're i really gonna- hope it's not 40 bucks they they need to give that charger I, I i mean if if i were them that would be why you need that voucher is is because look people want a fast charge and people want a charger they can trust and even though you might have a whole bunch of 5 watt chargers that are official apple chargers around the house a lot of people do it's still going to be slow and so you know it's tricky because look the reason android phones haven't done this yet because android phones are much in my opinion much better candidates for not shipping with the charger. If you look around my house, I have USB-C PD yeah, 65 everywhere. watt chargers in almost every room that I can plug my Mac, my iPad, my and and my Android phones into and fast charge over PD and it'll self adjust between, you know, yes. like 5 watt charging all the way to like 65 yeah. to 90 watt in some But remember cases. when Nintendo tried this, people lost their minds. And and to me that seems like Apple uh Google Android phones would be a better candidate than iPhone, but the iPhone is interesting because yes, on one hand, a lot of people have chargers, but at the other, on the other hand, you kind of count on the charger coming because you lose one and you have a spare and blah, 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 and sometimes they break. And I don't know. It's like... So I would hope, like my, my, my beautiful dream for this, and it won't happen because even if it only costs Apple two bucks, it's two bucks times 200 million, 200 million phones. So it's still real money. Yeah. But mine would just be whether your whether stores are open by then or not when you order there's a checkbox that says i need a charger and it's completely free yeah it's off by default but if you check it it's like it's either free or it's at cost it's like you know like you said 10 bucks yeah yeah and then you check it same way like amazon does like do you need the full retail packaging or can we do the eco-friendly packaging and do you think they give you a choice of cable then or will be usb a because right now it's still usb a unless you buy weight is the is he the pro, pro is usb c and the yeah which yeah. makes it more confusing Oh God! Because they still have the rinky dinky five watt charger in the uh, in the eleven. Oh man, yeah, that's right. I have a regular eleven. It came with a rinky charger. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So I, I I don't know. I think yes. I think this is gonna happen. Like this is a very Apple thing to do. It's a very Apple thing. And to the do. environmental benefits absolutely exist. I'm just not too. I'm not as concerned for the Apple users as I am concerned yes. for the people maybe switching to iOS. Um, and worrying that they spent a lot of money on this phone and not just under- like the normal people, like not the tech people. Yeah, not understanding that even though it's USB and they can use the the Type A yes. wall wart from their Samsung Galaxy from last year and plug that 
A to Lightning cable into it. They, they, some people might f worry about that. I, I think the the most Luddite user actually doesn't know that you can interchange it. They, they, I, have you noticed that? That they'll yeah. be like, I know I, ne I need to use the charger that says Samsung because I have a Samsung phone, right? Yeah. Because they, they still remember the days when uh, when people had custom connectors and stuff. Or they forget they go they plug into computers too. Because a lot of people are like, well, I, my phone will be dead and I'll be able to charge. And like, you know, there's still like penetration for computers is huge and most of them have USB ports. So I like, mean, <laughs> yeah. And, and, if, and to those listeners who are going to say, Miriam, of course, you know why Android phones all ship with the charger days, because everyone has a custom fast charging solution. And, yes. you know, yeah. you never know if the person has the fast charging system at the other end. Definitely. I understand that. I'm just saying that they could, if they really wanted to, slow their horses a little bit because nobody yeah. needs 65 watt charging on an Oppo phone. OK, nobody does. <laughs> like once you read about once you reach about 30 watt charging, you're good. Trust me. Yes. You're just fine and on a phone. Your battery's not that happy. Point. Like yeah. batteries are not happy with heat. Um, so 65 watt you don't need, and then then I question it. PD does 30 watt really well. Why doesn't yeah. everybody use PD at that point? Um, yeah. I mean there are there are advantages like what Oppo's doing. For example, Renee is really interesting. They have dual cells in the phone. They charge them in parallel, yeah. and they put all the charging electronics in the brick so the heat doesn't get generated in the phone. And they actually use low current charging and high voltage to prevent like yeah. heating again. It's very clever, but like some maybe PD needs to evolve to to yes. kind of like embrace this technology somehow. That I don't think is ever gonna happen. But but let's see what happens. But that's definitely a big piece of news that's been floating around. Um, the other big piece of news uh, for all of us mobile tech lovers, since my audience tends to be pretty savvy, is that OnePlus announced the name of their next lineup of phones slash maybe even the phone itself called the yeah. OnePlus Nord. It's for Canada, right? The whole name is uh, for Canada. That's right. I was going to say, well, last week I laughed about it because I was like, that's such a shitty name. And I didn't say, I, I don't really, it's, no, don't get me wrong. Nord by itself is not a bad name. It's yeah. just OnePlus and Nord together just kind of seems to conflict somehow. Like, you know, Nord, there's a company that makes keyboards called Nord and they make really yeah. lovely keyboards. There is, of course, Nord VPN. Do people and, know it's French for North? Uh, I don't think they do. And, okay. and also, you know, Nordic, it's used, you yes. know, it's also used in English as kind of like, you know, a shortened version of Nordic, which means anything from the North. And so it's, it's interesting. It's like, I, I find that name choice weird. And of course, this phone is India, Europe only. So India, for Europe, the Nord, the Nord works, uh, name works yeah. well. There's a lot of Nordic countries, right? But India, it's like, do they even know? I mean, I guess in the <laughs> in parts of India, in the Himalayas, it's cold. Yeah. But like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do they They have a Nordic know? track. They're fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like, yeah. um, what's your take in general on this whole OnePlus and how they're trying to reinvent themselves as a less than $500 brand again? So I, I, because I used to work in marketing, I'm always suspicious of every company marketing. And I'm always like, did you just new Coke us? Did you take away our classic Coke with a full flagship priced phone just so you could come back with like, sorry, do you take, like the new Coke and now you have the classic Coke again? We're like, oh, OnePlus is back, baby. And you get like so much acclaim that you wouldn't have gotten if you just stuck at that price to begin with. But I think that they just need, I just like practically, they need to have phones in those price points. And if they can get as much marketing out of those phones as possible, I think it's great for them. I mean, I think this was a long time in the making, despite the fact that OnePlus had this OnePlus X, which was a mid-range phone for the one for the one year, uh, in addition to their flagship that year. The flagship at the time was the OnePlus 2, and the OnePlus X was a $299 phone or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, that was a mid-ranger. And it was a lovely phone. 
but it didn't sell well. And after that, they were very clear to us every time they talked to us. And I say PR and both Carl Pei and Pete Lau, these, these are the execs, were very clear. We're not making mid-range. We're, we're not going there again. It, it wasn't profitable. It wasn't worthwhile for us. And not profitable is not the word they use, but it made it sound it wasn't worth yeah. their while. And so, but at the same time, prices of phones, especially Qualcomm chip phones that are at the higher end, uh, have gone up exponentially yeah. in the last couple of years and particularly and this year spending power has gone with down the 865 and with covid in the economy in particular spending powers down yeah. and i think it it makes perfect sense and i i'm not saying that they decide to do this because of what all of this i think it's it's very much something they were planning to do starting to see how how, how expensive those chips were getting saying we can get 90% 80% of the experience and yeah. performance out of a 765 chip so let's do that and i don't fault them for it i actually also think that you have to always remember that oneplus is part of the bbk group that also makes yep. oppo and vivo and realme and iq and there's the other there's a bunch Basically of other brands. half of everything and yes and so um there is a phone right now out there called the oppo reno 3 pro 5g which is spec-wise identical to what the leaks are on the OnePlus Nord. And if you pay attention, this has always been the case. There's always a OnePlus phone that's a slight variant on an Oppo phone. This year's OnePlus 8 Pro, the big mother, the fastest, yeah. nicest phone they make, it, which is my daily driver right now, is actually a detuned version of an even more expensive phone from Oppo called the Find X2 Pro. Yeah. And I reviewed both of these phones, so check that out on Hot Hardware and Geekspin. But th the point I'm making is that I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing safety in numbers and economies of scale within the BBK group where they're like, hey, maybe we, cannot, we can find a way to not compromise that OnePlus experience of speed but bringing the cost down to where yeah. it should be. And I think we're going to see this be around the four, 400. I think it's going to be between 350 and 450. I don't think it's going to be 500. I could be wrong. 499 seems a little high considering you can buy OnePlus 7T from last year with a Snapdragon 855 for 499 right now, like from, from yeah. OnePlus. Now, they might stop doing that, but the point is that it's still going to be a better phone without 5G. So I don't know. I think this is, this is exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. I know it's not coming North America, but again, with OnePlus, it's like it's like Apple. You know, we're not going to make a stylus and then yeah. Apple Pencil. Well, also, the, like the uh, the trend, I don't want to call it a trend because it was horrible, but the trend for the last couple of years was really expensive phones. Like we saw iPhone prices ra get higher and, and Samsung prices get higher. But this year, a lot of people are taught, like the just the market awareness is around the iPhone SE and around Google's less, if they can find the keys to the Pixel 4 uh, A, please, you know, get the thing out of the parking lot. Uh, yeah. but, all, but, but a lot of companies are shipping really good phones at really good price points and people are talking about them and you never want to be the company that's not part of that conversation. I mean, I'll be honest with you. And you know, for me, it's like, I don't think I need a flagship. Like it's nice that OnePlus 8 Pro yeah. I have is beautifully fast and I love it. But I feel like if I had, if it was my own money, I, this is my review unit I'm using. I'm, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't spend money on it, but if yeah. it was my own money right now, I, I'll be frank with you folks. I would probably look at a mid-range phone for myself. Yeah. I'd be looking at this OnePlus Nord and importing it when it becomes available. I'd be looking at that Oppo Reno 3 Pro 5G. I'd be looking at the next phone we're going to talk about, the Moto Edge Non-Plus, which yeah. is going to be $700 in the US, unlocked with a Snapdragon 765G and a uh, detuned camera to, I think, 64 from 108. And and that's that's 
going to be perfectly fine. Or the LG Velvet, when it finally comes to the US, it's probably going to be cheaper than it is in other markets because right now it's really expensive for what it is. I think that that's still, you know, you're going to say, well, it's only marginally cheaper than like a $1,000 phone. Yeah, but $300 is not marginal. $300 buys you like you know, almost an iPhone SE, right? (laughs) It's it's like, you can't dismiss that. So in my ideal world, what I'd love to see is more Snapdragon 765G phones in the 400. I think 400 is a sweet spot that Apple nailed and picked the best possible timing to nail with the iPhone SE. And we need, that's why I'm hoping the OnePlus Nord can just go head to head with the SE. And I want to see more, Snapdragon 765G phones in that in that price 400 to 550. Here's the thing, right? I don't know if you know this, Rene, but um, Xiaomi makes has a subbrand called Poco that they kind of yeah. let loose. They say they let loose, but you know how it, it is. It wins all the MKBHD right? photo competitions. And and frankly, the <laughs> yeah, that's right. The the uh, the Poco F2 Pro this year is a Snapdragon 865. Yeah. affordable flagship with 5G that costs $500. So they're already there. The Chinese are already yeah. making phones with Qualcomm's fastest chip at $500. So we could see 765 phones from China and India for 350 yeah. 300 uh, Now add another 150 bucks for North America and Europe, but because you know it's a different market and they make want to make more profits, super competitive in India and, and in China, of yeah. course, too. So I get it. So so I'm you know I'm I'm looking forward to the edge. What's your take generally on on the way Motorola is kind of doing this? Because they launched this expensive Verizon exclusive and now they're detuning it. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, I have the, everything with Motorola, just from Google buying them, Google selling them, and then you know they made the flip phone, they made the high end phone, they're making the middle phone. I it feels like they're just spinning a lot. And I don't know if they have a long-term strategy. Maybe you think they have a long-term strategy, but I don't see where they're going. I'm glad they're experimenting selfishly because I like seeing cool phones. But as, a, as someone who wants all these companies to stay around, I really want them to have long-term strategies to grow their business. I think with Moto, it's a bit of a special case. Super, the G series is super popular in South and Central America. And so they're just pumping them out and variants are very, like yeah. price sensitivity is so high there that the variants make a difference, like a difference in $20 in price between like a Moto G8 Plus versus a G8. It, it actually makes a difference on paper for people. And I think that's why they're able to do it. I, I do wish they would like, as an, as you, you coming from the Apple universe, it's like, can we please consolidate? Like, but I feel the same way about car manufacturers. Look at BMW. How many variants of the 4 Series Grand Coupe? That, it's a coupe, but it has four doors. And, oh, no, and I'm not opposed an, to that. I just want them to make money on every phone so they can keep making the next phone. Right, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, I think yeah. there are car manufacturers are also in the... Whereas, you know, you go to Tesla and you have like four cars to choose from. That's it, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. But all the car market segments so much compared to it's the phone It's crazy. Market. So I think I can understand where that's coming from. I, I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, speaking of super high-end, super extensive phones that I don't think anybody's going to buy with this economy when it comes out, or maybe few people. Well, actually, that's the thing. In the U.S. and in Canada, in part, subsidies through carriers still are a thing. Yeah. And they're not the subsidies in the traditional model where you pay as part of your plan. It's more like you get like a financing plan that's 0% yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Purchase yeah, like plan. And so maybe these phones will somehow settle like that. But uh, there's been leaks of the Note 20 Ultra, which is yeah. going to be the best Note you can get. And, and of course it's in gold <laughs> or bra- bronze. It's an interesting, yeah, it's a bronze. I, I, nobody really knows. But it's interesting that Samsung leaked their own phone 
And it's but is also, it though? I mean, like, I feel like Samsung's well, web team is never like, especially the international web teams are never a hundred percent on their closed folder structures. And Apple's done it too, so I can't see, like. See, this is my point. Like, I, I I'm not surprised, but I think this is not marketing planning. This is not a plan B. No, this I don't think so either. I just <laughs> of yes. Samsung incompetence. Like, this is let's put it the way it is. Like, and what stands out to me, other than a cool copper whatever finish, is the fact that their Periscope folded lens is. Yeah not uh the opening for it isn't square like or rectangular yeah. like it's been on other phones they're they're trying to kind of like mm, you make know, it look like one of the other lenses yeah which is in the first time we've seen that because there's quite a few you might not know this if you're an apple person but there has been quite a few folded lenses in the market yeah. in the last year and a half so uh it's interesting um and yeah you touched on this earlier um you know qualcomm is launched a new Snapdragon 4100 Wear chip for smartwatches, yeah. which typically these chips are used by mostly the... Fossil. Fossil, thank you. The Fossil watch group makes... I think they probably use up 90% of every Snapdragon <laughs> Wear chip that's ever made yeah. uh, <laughs> because they seem to be the only ones making Android Wear watches that are any yeah. decent anymore. Um, so this chip was just announced randomly, just like just literally dropped in my inbox yesterday. Um, so I think what this means is that we're going to start seeing a whole bunch of watches from Fossil in particular with this much improved chip, which, as you pointed out earlier in the yeah. show, isn't really that drastically improved. I mean, it's a definitely, I mean, the 3100 was essentially yes. a Snapdragon 400 from three years ago or yes. something. So do you think between that, the Snapdragon 4100 wear, and Google recently, like last year, acquiring Fitbit, and the other news of the week, that is Google acquired North, the Canadian yes. smart glass manufacturer. Do you think that Google is going to crank the volume on their wearable hardware again in some way? Like, are we going to see a Pixel watch? So I have like this huge rant about like, <laughs> I want this stuff so badly. But like when that story came out about Rick Osterloh coming in at the end of the process and going, hey guys, what's with the battery life? I just, like a part of me died inside. But when you look back, like they bought, they, you need money to make these things. Like you need gabs of money and Samsung is not playing with them. And Samsung has gabs of money. And Google is okay about supporting Android given it's such a bit, I call it a burden. People got mad at me, but they, Apple only has to support Apple. Google has to support everybody using Android for everything. It's a big job. And, you know, we've seen how them, they struggled with tablets and we've seen how they struggled with wearables. And they're also conflicted against themselves because some people at Google, like I believe in the C-suite, really want these to be profit-making products. They want they want revenue and they want Google to make things and they want to have a physical, uh, profitable center of products. And other people are like, we just want to use this to dog food our own technology. And what, can you please put this sensor in because we need to dog food it or put a notch in this one and put a head and put a hole in this one because we need to make sure Android is working well. And then you have a third group who's like, look, these are, these should be cheap devices for developers. What are we doing? We're Google. And none of them talk to each other. And I get so frustrated. So they bought... They've bought all these companies and the products still aren't great. And Google can make great products without buying any of these companies. They're Google. Uh, so I just, I think it's more a, a, like an executive down to management act of will. They just need to figure out what they want to make and make it and make it great. 
And that's all I want from them right now. Well, like this is an ongoing theme on this podcast since we do a lot of Android coverage traditionally. Although I'm sure my audience right now is annoyed with me for doing so much Apple coverage in the last two weeks. But look, the reality is this is the time. You have to annoy your audience or you're not doing your job. There's there's twice a year where we do this. And I have you on every year for WWDC. Like this is a, you (laughs) should know by now. Um, But the point is, I think that, you know, like as a former Pixel user that finally switched to OnePlus this year, it's like I could never get on board with a Pixel 4 because, you know, as you know, their Face ID yeah. APIs weren't supported by all the apps I use. Yeah. And there's still, most of my apps still aren't supported. Here we are almost nine months to 10 months later. Yeah. And it's just not acceptable to me. I just can't. I, yes, I can use a password manager. I, there's a work, the workaround. But considering the phone and what, how, how, what it is, when only the camera is really kick-ass, I, I, yeah. I need a phone that's kick-ass all around. Yes. And, and Google keeps shooting themselves in the foot with even the basics like a smartphone, If I feel like in the last few years, never mind like a tablet or a wearable. I, I'm not against this Snapdragon 4100. I think it's great. We needed it. Finally, Qualcomm's gear delivery is a chip that's a little more competitive. And I'm glad to see Google acquiring all kinds of stuff. But in the case of North, they already said they're going to stop supporting their glasses, the, yeah. the first generation, and that their second generation product is not coming out. So it reeks to me of Google wants the patents and like, you know, also mm-hmm. didn't uh, North acquire all the patents from the Intel vault or whatever it yeah, was called, maybe. vault yeah. or whatever. So it's like, I hate the idea that they're absorbing all this stuff and nothing might come out of it because yes. we all want our smart glasses. And we, you know, I'm wearing a Samsung watch, which is two years old now. And it's been, you know, there are, there's one uh, Samsung watch coming, a new one coming soon. There's been another one last year. And honestly, short of an Apple watch, which I think is absolutely the pinnacle of a smartwatch today, especially now that it has a display that turns off, yep. uh, that, that it can stay always on. I mean, when you want to, um, this watch is really so much better than yeah. any Android Wear device. Yet I was. And it on also bo- means they're not funding Android Wear. And exactly. And I was on board the Android Wear, uh, the Wear OS, whatever it's called, uh, bandwagon for many years. And but it's just not a viable experience. And so yeah. part of me, like Dieter wrote in his uh, in his newsletter yesterday, wants to believe that we're going to yeah. see some hardware. But again, can we, as you said, can we please find the keys to the Pixel 4a? Somebody yeah. found the keys. Anybody found the keys? Because, you know, you're, speaking of mid-range phones that I could be happy with. Yes. That, that's all I need. Like, I don't really need, like, if, that would be amazing because it has a headphone jack. It has a yeah. fingerprint sensor in the back, which I really like. And I don't know, like, it's like Google seems to be, I want to love them. Like, the Pixel Buds are great, but they're just like, they don't stand out enough. Like, you know? Yeah. It's it's just a leadership thing, and like we saw that we talked about Motorola before. Google actually owned Motorola, and I, I almost forgot that. You know, it's it's, it's like stop buying these companies unless you're going to do something with them, and just make. And I don't care, just make good products. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you made Google Glass, and now you're buying North. I mean, ah, I get so frustrated. It's very frustrating, and again, it's also very frustrating that if you love, if you like watches, and you want a smartwatch, you know, you really can only go to apple if you're serious and well that's it like if you prefer samsung or you prefer apple you still want google to be great because it forces apple and samsung to be better 
Exactly. And so it's a tough one because it's like, if you want an Apple Watch, then you need an iPhone. And then if you yeah. uh, like today, it's with iOS 14, it makes even more sense to have an iPhone because you can change your default browser and email client yep. and all these other functionality. The, the discussion we had last week about iOS um, replicating a lot of Android features. Um, but I'm just feeling like those of us who want that weirdness in the hardware that we get from Android right now, if we want to yeah. pair a smartwatch with our Android phone, really, I, I honestly think this, the Samsung is yeah. really the only way to fly. And if you want a really good like band, like fitness band, look no further than Huawei or the entire Huawei group. I've had Huawei bands for exercise for years and they are absolutely amazing. The sleep track, I sleep with one every night. The sleep tracking is one of the best I have ever used. And I worked in watches. I worked at Pebble yes, for a while. I know a thing or two about I interviewed watches. you when you were there. <laughs> I can tell you that Huawei's automatic sleep algorithm is insanely good. And I'm so glad to see yeah. that one of the things came out of WWDC is that the Apple Watch is going to gain sleep tracking. Because yeah. that's, so to me, that's one of the reasons. Like I could wear this Samsung watch for sleep tracking. It does it, it, does it well, but not as well as, as Huawei. But it's so bulky. Look at it. Like, yeah. you know, I, I want something a little lighter. And that's that tiny little Huawei band is, is, that thing is so cheap. It's like 79 yeah. bucks and it has a GPS in it. Like, I can't believe how commodified hardware has become, you know? And, and I can't help to think, but think that this, as you said, constant interplay between all these companies is what creates it. But lately, Google is just like, yeah. please, please make the Pixel 5 a phone that can go head to head with the Galaxy S20, the Galaxy Note 20 the freaking OnePlus 8 and the Google OnePlus 9. Google has the best camera algorithm in the world, but they keep throwing commodity glass on those phones. And can you imagine if they just put slightly better glass on those phones, what those cameras would be capable of? They don't need to go very far. All they need to no. do is get get one of those pixel bin sensors from yes. from from uh, from Sony or something. Like there are so many good sensors out there. And and it doesn't take much effort to do that. Yet they're like, mm, crickets, whatever. Yeah. And I understand that it's still a bit of a jump to support that kind of new architecture, right? But I, I, I don't know. I, anyway, it's it's very strange. We live in a really weird universe. We At least we still have coffee. It's not the fringe timeline with no coffee. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Every time, yeah, I'm I'm drinking one right now. Every time I feel that like we think Google's gonna f somehow not stumble and write yeah. themselves in their run in their jog to make hardware, it, they fall into a pothole and have to skin their knees again. Yeah. It's just frustrating for those of us who love the ecosystem. Um, but hey. It's like Apple with services. It's not their primary business and they're really strappy about it, but you just launch the service and you're like, uh. <laughs> One last bit of news, uh, not super significant, but I want to give a head tip to MediaTek for keeping at it really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, they have announced a couple of new gaming-centric chips for, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, the uh, MediaTek Helio G25 and G35. I will link uh, to all the things we discussed, of course, as usual in the show notes, but I'll put a link to an Android Central stories from your previous yes. universe here. Uh, about Still my favorite people. The details. It's really interesting to me. Like, I always thought gaming phones... I re recently reviewed the Red Magic 5G, which is a Snapdragon 865 gaming phone, which is very affordable, $579 for a 5G 865 yeah. gaming phone. But um, gaming phones are a thing, for better or for worse. But it's interesting to me that now we're starting to see uh, tears within the gaming phone world. Like, 
originally like gaming phones were going to have to have the best chips but now we're seeing you know chip makers like like uh, even Qualcomm with the Snapdragon 720G for example or the, 7, the 730G and uh 765G 768G make kind of slightly lower tier uh gaming chipsets and with the 25 and 35 we're talking like we're talking 600 series Snapdragon in terms of performance so it's interesting to me that they're just basically optimizing the all like uh, AI stuff in it for game logic and and stuff like that. And it's it's just interesting to see these chip makers kind of go crazy with that stuff. What's your yeah. take in general on the whole gaming phone gaming chipset thing? I like it. I, I just like I want more. Like that's the whole thing. Is like I <laughs> I, I want so I want deep silicon competition. I want everybody to be pushing the boundaries on silicon so that we're not locked into another commodity market for. 10 or 20 years. And I think that it's a sign that phones are maturing when they start to segment. And we've really been resistant to that. We've been using these very uh, mainstream general purpose phones. So if we start getting phones that are, and we've seen a few of them now, phones that are more centered on gaming, that's great. Give us phones that are centered on. I, I never understood, Miriam, and I don't want to get off a tangent because we're near the end of the show, but I never understood why Microsoft didn't drop an Xbox phone on the shelf next to an iPhone, next to an office phone, like if they had to, but just brand it xbox have yeah. halo on it day one you know yeah. go back seven years and do that because the branding was there the time was there the technology was yeah, there yeah it would have been the equivalent of the of a, of today's nintendo right yeah switch. Right? it'd be the switch light but back then basically yeah. Well, so. Sony tried to do that, remember, with the PlayStation, I don't but know it, what it was called. They kind of and it, they didn't have like the they didn't have a lot of the things in place. Xperia Play. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right. This uh you and I need to have a make a podcast about alternate universes one day. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. all the possible branches. Well, there are many, but pick a few that we cover on the show. The fun. one when WebOS is the dominant phone in the market. Like if you want to have that show and, and on your YouTube, I'll be happy to jump okay. into it. Renee, do you want to tell people where on the internet they can find you, all the different social handles and all that stuff? Sure. So I make it really easy. I'm Renee Ritchie, R-E-N-E-R-I-T-C-H-I-E on everything. So YouTube slash Renee Ritchie, Instagram, Twitter slash Renee Ritchie, all, all of that good stuff. So uh, YouTube is where I spend most of my time right now. Yes, please go to Renee's YouTube channel and subscribe now. There's also Patreon there if you want to support him. Thank you. Really great analysis on everything, but a lot of it, obviously, with a lot of expertise in the world of Apple. But check it out. This is... um. It's been a treat to watch your videos, Renee. Definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book characters, just drop the vowels on Twitter and Instagram. So Twitter is where you should go to discuss this podcast with me. It's really hard to comment on podcasts. There's really no simplified way of doing that. So uh, hit me up on Twitter if you have questions, um, you know, comments or corrections or whatever. And uh, then on Instagram, I have pretty pictures of phones and pretty pictures taken with phones. I'm currently reviewing Sony's Xperia 1 Mark II, which is their uh, high-end camera-centric smartphone. And it's pretty interesting. And uh, so stay tuned for a review on hot hardware for that. Then, of course, you know, there's a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. If you want to see some visual content that goes along with this podcast, something to sink your eyes into rather than your ears, 
this is the place to go. I've got a bunch of unboxings and stuff like that, so check that out. I want to remind you that if you just dropped in and you're like, hey, I know Renee and I'm listening to this podcast, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. And of course, please subscribe. There's an RSS feed there that's old school. But if you want something easier, just go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or, or Spotify, or wherever your favorite podcast universe lives, and type in Mobile Tech Podcast with Tankerl, TNKGRL, and you'll find the show and you can subscribe i hope you do uh so yeah subscribe to the youtube subscribe to the podcast and all that good stuff also i wanted to say that while i don't have a patreon and i would like to say yet i'm working on that maybe (laughs) i'm trying to decide how i want to do that in the meantime there's a donate button in the link in the show notes below please uh Consider donating is a PayPal link that would really help me and the show and making it happen every week. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with us since the early days of the show, all over two years now. And they're a pretty amazing sponsor because they are the best audiobook platform you can get out there. I mean, look, if you read books and you love books, and maybe at some point you can't physically read one because you're maybe a delivery driver dropping off that FedEx phone review that I'm going to review next, you need a way to listen to audiobooks. You can't do podcasts all day. So Audible's got you covered. And if you want a deal and support the show, we've got a special thing going on. So 30-day free trial, you get to keep a book at the end. You can stay or leave, whatever you want. But if you do click through uh, that link that is in the show notes that I will be giving you in a second, you support the podcast, you support Audible, our sponsor, and you might open up Pandora's box in the sense that they have an incredible selection. You will love the stuff there. A lot of the books are read by the authors. I just really, really love browsing around, downloading a book, listening to it on a road trip. And yes, a lot of us are staying home right now, but maybe that's a good way for you to just tune out the noise and take a break with your headphones on in your office. Check it out. And if you're definitely one of those hardworking folks out there with your true wireless earbuds in all day, you might want to check out Audible. So the link is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Check it out. It's also in the show notes below. And please consider supporting me and supporting Audible by clicking through. So thanks to Audible again. And Renee, thanks for being on the show yet again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a delight. I love talking to you. Wonderful. I enjoy it as well. And we will have you on again, maybe even before uh, WWDC. Maybe I can uh, corner you down on the week of iPhone launch. I know that's always a hard week for you, but we'll try. We'll try. Anyway, folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.